Welcome to these Bible lessons on the Old Testament. In these lessons, we'll cover God's magnificent creation of all the world, including the creation of man, the crown of God's creation. We'll follow with the sad fall of man in paradise and the consequences this brought to the world. In the continuing lessons, we'll teach how God visits men with the revelation of His covenant of grace. When we travel together through the entire Old Testament, we see God visiting His nation of Israel with revelations of this covenant of grace, pointing constantly to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope these lessons are a blessing to you. Thank you. Welcome to Lesson 37 in our Old Testament History Series. In this lesson, we will learn more about God's great holiness. This lesson is on Leviticus 1 through 17. That's a lot of reading. But if you pay close attention to my next two questions, I can help you with it. First, a question. What is your favorite book? If you know that book quite well, I think you will be able to find spots in that book where the author covers a lot of time in just a few sentences. But there are also times where the author slows down and includes a lot of detail. And when that happens, you know that you have to pay close attention. This is like the book of Leviticus. It only covers about two months of time and includes a lot of details. These details are important. We have to slow down and pay close attention. My next question, or comment really, is that while we slow down and pay close attention, we want to pay close attention to the main point. What is the main point? Well, you remember that at the end of the book of Exodus, Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle. Instead, God spoke to him from out of the tabernacle. What a powerful reminder that Israel's sin had damaged their relationship with their God. Since God is holy, good, and perfectly righteous, there was no way that sinful, bad, and unrighteous Israel could survive in his presence. They need to be holy also. In Leviticus, we hear how the people were taught how they could live in God's presence. In this lesson, we will follow along and learn about sacrifices first, and then about the priests, and third, about purity laws, and then finally, about the Day of Atonement. We will then finish this lesson by connecting it again to the main point of this lesson. Once again, that main point, how is it possible 
for unholy sinners to live in the presence of a holy God. Okay, let's turn our attention to our story and to Moses. His attention has been completely captured by God, who is speaking to him out of the tabernacle. God is telling Moses what to tell the nation of Israel. This takes up the first seven chapters. In really short detail, God is telling the people how they are able to say thank you to God for all that God has given them. God is also telling the people how they are able to say sorry to God for sins that they have done against God and their neighbor. In chapter 1, the first sacrifice is the burnt offering. An Israelite who knew he had sinned was sorry for that sin and knew that that sin needed forgiveness could bring one of his own bulls to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. This sacrifice could cover this sin, but would cost the Israelite the best of his herd. The innocent animal would die instead of the sinful Israelite. In chapter 2, we learn about the meat offering. An Israelite who was thankful for the blessings he had received from the Lord and wanted to confess this would bring a meat or grain offering. This was an offering of grain from the Israelites' fields. Only a small part would be burned. The rest would serve to support the priests who, of course, spent their day not farming but serving the Lord in their work as priests. In chapter 3, we have a very nice picture of a peace offering. An Israelite who desired to make or keep peace that he enjoyed with God would bring a peace offering. This sacrifice could bring peaceful relationships between the Israelite and God, and then, of course, with his neighbors also. The fat of the animal was the best part and was never eaten. It was offered to God. The priests were given some of the meat and the Israelite ate the rest of it as a meal that day with family or friends. In chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, we learn of the sin offering. An Israelite who sinned, but not on purpose, knew that he was still guilty of that sin. And God concludes his instructions to Moses on this offering by stating several times that the priest shall make an atonement for his sin that he hath committed, and it shall be forgiven him. Forgiveness is the wonderful result of God accepting the sacrifice and having his holy anger and justice against sin satisfied. Finally, we learn about the trespass offering. Sin damages the relationship with God and also with the Israelites' neighbors. Sin is not just a light thing, but it destroys and it causes damage that 
needs to be repaired. And so this sacrifice has a strong idea of repairing a relationship, of fixing damage, of paying a debt. This sacrifice is intended to restore that relationship between God and neighbor. In all of these sacrifices, God always looked at the hearts of the one offering the sacrifice. A sacrifice was not to be done as a custom or without thinking, as a way to get God's attention. No, these sacrifices had to be offered with true repentance and faith. So, that is a quick review of these sacrifices. You might be thinking that these sacrifices and details are impossible to remember and maybe not even necessary to learn about. I can see your point. But God never puts something in the Bible that's not important. I have some questions for you about these sacrifices to maybe help you see why they are important for you and me also. The burnt offering covered sin and pointed God's righteous justice at a substitute instead of a guilty sinner. Are you a sinner? Then you also are a guilty sinner and need a substitute. That guilt can be covered or atoned for. Next, the peace offering and its shared meal showed that the broken relationships between people and God could be restored. Has your sin caused a broken relationship with God? That relationship can be restored. The sin offering is about the stain of sin, the dirty and destroying results of sin. A holy God must be surrounded by holiness in order to remain with his people. Has your sin left a stain in your life? Can you see the dirty and destroying results of your sin in your life? This can be restored to a holy state. The trespass offering is about the debt that must be repaid as a result of sin. Has your sin left you with a huge debt to God that can never be repaid? Well, I tell you, it can be repaid. All of these sacrifices perfectly meet and are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, an excellent sacrifice, way better and more effective than all of the others. His blood can cover our guilt. His relationship with his Father can be enough. He can clean the stain and the damage of sin in our life. He can repay the debt that we never can. I hope you see how beautiful he is and how necessary he is. Israelites would see these sacrifices and listen to Moses' explanation. 
Some of them believed and in faith they saw the future Messiah in these sacrifices. The prophet Isaiah told the people of Israel that the future Messiah would come to be sacrificed. For example, in Isaiah 53, he describes the future Messiah as an offering for sin and that he shall bear their iniquities and that he bear the sin of many. And later, when John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus and announced, Behold the Lamb of God, he was seeing that the Lord Jesus would be sacrificed, just like these animals were, to remove his people's guilt. In these sacrifices, we can find how a sinner may approach God and find mercy. Let's turn our attention now to the priests. The tabernacle has been prepared, the sacrifice laws have been recorded, and it is time for Aaron and his sons to start their work as priests. In chapters 8 and 9, you can read about this. Aaron and his sons are washed, they put on their special priest clothing, and they are anointed as priests. Blood is sprinkled over them. They are marked with blood on their right ears, their hands, and their right toes. The phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses, is used many times in these chapters and describes how this week-long ceremony was completed. Aaron offers a sacrifice, first for himself and then for the people. God showed his approval by sending fire from heaven and burning up the sacrifices. The people saw this and were very happy that God accepted the sacrifice. This meant he would continue to dwell with them. The office and work of the priest would be a constant reminder to Israel of God's presence with them. Sadly, this special occasion is also marked with sinful disobedience by two of the priests. Nadab and Abihu are disobedient in their work. Chapter 10 describes how they offered strange fire. Perhaps they used regular coals of fire and not the holy fire from the altar of burnt offering. They did not respect God's commands for his service and were instantly punished. Living in God's presence was a great privilege, but actually dangerous for those who dared to rebel against God. Next, let's turn our attention to the third part of our story, the purity laws. And think again about what Nadab and Abihu did wrong. They came before the Lord with strange fire. It was supposed to be holy fire. Fire from the altar of burnt offering was holy and was set apart for God's service. That's what holy means, pure and devoted to God. Things that were not holy were common or part of everyday life. And common things could be either 
either be clean or unclean. Part of the work of the priests is described in chapter 10, verse 10. They were to teach the people to put difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. We could get really detailed about all the different purity laws in chapters 11 through 15, but I will keep it really general. The main point of these laws is found in chapter 11, verse 45. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God is holy, and he wanted his chosen people to also be holy. These laws would make them separate and different from all the nations around them. This theme of, you be holy because I am holy, is repeated many times in Leviticus. And so in the life of the nation of Israel, people were clean. It was possible to become unclean if you had a skin disease or maybe had to bury a dead relative. While unclean, you were not allowed to take part in worshiping God. You had to first become clean through a ceremony or a sacrifice. Only when you were clean could you rejoin the worship of the nation. In daily life, there were holy things and common things. Common things could be clean or unclean. It was really important to stop something unclean from coming into contact with something that was holy. And there were a lot of these rules. This was a constant reminder in their personal life, their family life, and their community life that they had to be a holy and a separate nation. In conclusion, the unclean could not come into contact with the holy. Unclean things needed to be cleansed and then could be sanctified to be made holy. This could only be done through sacrifice. This comes more clearly pictured if we think of the work of the Lord Jesus. It's the sacrifice of Christ that allows a completely unholy, unclean sinner to enter into the presence of the Holy One and survive. Christ is the Holy One who gave himself to an unclean death. He became unclean so that through his blood we are cleansed and sanctified. Christian believers are reminded in 1 John 1 verse 7 that <clears throat> the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And in Hebrews 10, verse 10, it is clear that we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's now move to the highlight that all of these chapters have been building towards. In chapters 16 and 17, we have a description of the annual highlight in Israel's relationship with God the Day of Atonement. This was the day where 
there would be a sacrifice to atone for all the sins of Israel that had not been atoned for through other offerings. It was a day of Israel's cleansing so that God could continue to dwell among them. On this day, the people rested, like on the Sabbath day, and thought about their sins and were sorry for them. First, the high priest brought the bullock and killed it. Then a censer was filled with fire from the altar of burnt offering. Some special sweet-smelling incense was put on the coals. Taking some blood along with him, he went behind that special curtain in the tabernacle into the Holy of Holies. Here, God was present in a special way above the mercy seat and between the cherubims. The cloud of incense filled this room, and seven times Aaron dipped his finger into the blood from the bullock and sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat. Having first sacrificed a bullock for his own sins, Aaron could now work on behalf of the people. Next, he took a goat and killed it. He returned to the Holy of Holies with the censer and the blood of this goat and sprinkled it on the mercy seat as well. Having finished this, Aaron returned outside and laid his hands on the head of a second live goat. He confessed all the sins of the children of Israel onto the head of this goat. This goat was given to a good man who had to lead the goat far away into the wilderness. The people solemnly watched as this man left the camp with the goat who was carrying all of their sins. They will never see this goat again. It is a very clear reminder that God will never remember their sins anymore. God's people find comfort in this scapegoat as it shows the truth of God's word in Hebrews 10 verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. These two goats, the one whose blood was sprinkled and the one who disappeared, show the two parts of atonement for sin. In atonement, God's justice against sin is satisfied with the sprinkled blood and the sin is removed. It was only because of this sprinkled blood that God could remain dwelling with his people. The author of Hebrews connects the importance of Jesus' death on the cross with this day of atonement. It is not the blood of sacrifices that is so valuable, but it is the sacrificed blood of Christ that earns final, certain, and eternal atonement. In Hebrews 9, verse 12, we can read about Jesus that neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So now that we have learned about the sacrifices, the priests, the purity laws, and the Day of Atonement, we need to use these four pieces to help us answer two questions. These questions are, who is man? 
and who is God? First, who is man? What does he do? The short answer is that man is guilty and he sins. When you think about Nadab and Abihu, you can see that man is very rebellious against God. God has in mercy agreed to continue living among his people. Instead of being humbled, Nadab and Abihu seem to be filled with pride and they want to serve God their own way. Man is guilty before God. It may be that we think we live a pretty good life with not too many sins. But if we could see all the sins that we have done, I think we would simply collapse. Ezra, a prophet who lived many years after this, described this attitude in chapter 9, verse 6. He prays, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. We might forget some sins that we have done, but God knows every single one of them. The psalmist sings in Psalm 69, verse 5, O God, thou knows my foolishness and my sins, are not hid from thee. Every person is guilty before God, and our sin has made us unacceptable to live in God's presence. Leviticus shows us how sinners are able to live in God's presence. Second, let's consider who God is and what he does. The short answer is that God is holy and he is merciful and gracious to forgive sin. You have learned in this lesson that God is holy and this holiness was to be seen in every part of Israel's life. They were to be holy because God is holy. But the holiness of God is much, much more. God is called the Holy One of Israel. And the angels in heaven sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's holiness is described in God's word as perfect. Here are two Bible texts. He is the rock. His work is perfect, a God of truth and without iniquity. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Since God is holy, sin is really offensive to God. God cannot have sin in his presence. One of the prophets many years later was quite upset and cried out to God, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on iniquity. His complaint was that God was being patient with those around him who were doing all sorts of evil things. How is that possible that God can be so patient with sinners? It is only by free and undeserved grace. Not only is God patient, but he promises to forgive sin 
Read 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see this whole lesson coming together? We are sinful. God is holy and cannot behold sin. But yet, in this story of sacrifices, priests, purity laws, the Day of Atonement, we learn that there still is a way for sinners to live in the presence of God. John the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In our next lesson, we will learn more about God's command to be a holy and a separate people.